Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And with me, as always, I've got Pastor Eric on my left, Pastor Paul on my right. Guys, how are we doing today? Go ahead, Paul. Well, I'm, I'm doing good. I, I uh, spent the weekend in Southern California attending a, a memorial service for my, I guess niece through my wife, my wife's niece, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll tell you something. Um, it's 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 almost as if we should attend a memorial service for a Christian once a month to keep our faith vital. Mm-hmm. Because all I could think about were people sitting around me that had no faith, mm-hmm. people actually in my wife's family. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, what did they do what are they thinking right yeah. now? Yep. There is no hope. Mm. And one of the passages uh, that was read was, you know, we we don't grieve like the world who has no hope. Mm-hmm. We grieve, of course, with the connection to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it, wow. it was it was difficult. It was meaningful, and I'm really really glad that we were able to support the family. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. That's great. Good reminder and encouragement to support our families in those tough times. Um, I'm good today, Adam. We started a new series yesterday at church, and it was uh, just seemed well-received. I think every time we do a message on real relational things, and mm-hmm. it just, just real life, as real as it gets, basically, yeah, uh, people really resonate. So um, that was it's, a lot of fun. It's so practical. I think people appreciate it, because I think sometimes people interpret church as it's very heady, it's not very practical, it's kind of mysterious, and it's like when we get to do these types of series, it's like, oh, I, I know what to do you know, with the people in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. yeah, that's great. And then we had Connect Now at the Draper location, which is um, the event that we do. If people are ready to connect more deeply with SMCC, connect to our staff, our story, and connect to other people. And uh, just an amazing group of people there from all walks of life. I mean, young people exploring Christianity for the first time. People have been Christians for, you know, decades. Um, it was just people people leaving the predominant faith of Utah. Like, it was just a wonderful Connect Now. And so I was just reminded of, of how, as a church, we're, we're doing what we set out to do. As many people as uh-huh. possible can belong before they believe. And we're accomplishing that. So that was just a really cool encouragement for me personally. Yeah. Just on that one, on that note, last thing, I went and visited uh, on Thursday last week the Pregnancy Resource Center in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Talked to the guy, George, and was just talking about SMCC. And, and I was like, yeah, we anecdotally hear you know, people all the time say, oh, SMCC, oh, that's the church that people coming out of the LDS faith, uh, um, that they attend. And immediately George says, oh, sounds like you're doing exactly what, you're, what you want to do. And I was like... Yeah, I mean, like, even from his perspective, he doesn't attend SMCC, but he gets it. He's yeah. like, that's what you want to do. Yeah. It's very cool. That's awesome. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> and again, for those of you that maybe aren't with us week to week, if you're following along, we're reading out of the NIV, which is the New International Version. That's what we are reading from directly. So I'm going to go ahead and start out with verse 1 and go through verse 3. 
So Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over to my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. All right. Well, you know, this is the uh, passage that's read at a lot of weddings. Um, Side note, guys, Saturday night I did a vow renewal in the basement of a bar. Um, (laughs) Very cool. There I am with the Bible open in front of the bartenders, in front of (laughs) all the the taps. And um, man, it was super interesting. I didn't read this passage. I went to Ephesians 5. But this is the passage that... um, it gets read at a lot of weddings. The Apostle Paul did not sit down to pin a passage that could be read at weddings, you know, on the Southern California coast <laughs> 2,000 years later. That's no, right. I think he had chapter 12 on his mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What yeah. he just got done talking about. People love their gifts and their own experience with God more than they loved people. So mm. Paul needed to correct that. And so he did it with just, I mean, one of the most amazing and famous pieces of literature in all of human history. I mean, this is beautiful, and that's why it's read at weddings. It's written poetically with hyperbole, and that's why, to our minds, it really stands out as beautiful. But uh, he was doing something very specific with this, Paul, and it was right, as you just said, in the context of these the misuse of gifts. Yeah, I think if I was to summarize it, I'd say, look, people, you can impress others with your with your giftedness and your demonstration of the gifts, but it doesn't come to anything. It amounts to nothing right. if you are not loving the same people you're trying to serve through your gift. So, love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just going back, flipping back metaphorically in my my laptop here, uh, back to chapter 12. And uh, yeah, I mean, literally, he just finished up talking about all these gifts, and he ends with, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet... I will show you the most excellent way. And then he moves right on into chapter 13. And it's almost like he, he's talking about gifts and, and constructing it. And then almost like he's flipping the table. And now he's saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do, but do not have love. Mm-hmm. So now he's like, yeah, kind yeah. of turning it back. Yeah, and I think this is so important. The more I read the Bible, the more I realize the transitions in the Bible are one of the most important things to get right if you want to get the next section right. And I think that uh, we see that transition as you just described. Gifts, mm-hmm. gifts, gifts. They matter. They're important. But the problem is it was happening at the expense of love. love. And so once you understand that transition, you can read the love stuff, not, you know, not in the context of a marriage, although it, it does apply. Quite, let's, be, yeah. let's be clear. It does apply, yeah. but you can read it in the context of the local church, the body of Christ, and that's where we should first apply this passage. And so right, right. I thought we would just go through it slowly because he's building this case, but each of the details in the build matter. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, you know, if you get the detail wrong and how the detail fix, fits into the build, you can kind of misunderstand this. So like in that first part, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, which he just talked about tongues, it was a known mm-hmm. language, or of angels. And some people look at that and go, oh, so there must be an angelic prayer language. I think what he's trying to say is he's trying to use a poetic expression. And we do this in English. I looked high and low for my keys. What's he yeah. saying? He's saying, I looked everywhere. Yes. So he's basically saying, it does not matter what type of language you can speak in. He's not trying to say, oh, by the way, there's an angelic language and you should learn it. He's not trying to say that. He's saying, it doesn't matter how incredible the words are that you use, 
you need to love. And so I don't think we should read this as, well, what is that angelic language? Must be the prayer thing of the charismatic movement. I I don't think that's how we should interpret this at all. He's just building his case. Yeah, I think we know it's hyperbole because of the moving mountains part and, you know, Mm. all the, you know, like I gave everything away and I, I... yeah, yeah. I give my body over to be burned. It, it's like extreme language. It's hyperbole, right? Yeah. You know, so men are of angels, so high and low, move mountains. Okay, mm-hmm. so the greatest f- feat of power that we could think of. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I give everything to the poor. Okay, so... I can yeah. fathom all mysteries. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just... <clears throat> He, he not, does not think expect people to yeah. take this literally. That yeah. would be the opposite reading of what he wants. He's mm-hmm. using it so we actually don't focus on that. We focus on the love. Yeah. I think a lot of people read this and focus on that. And he's like, well, that's not what I meant. Focus on the love thing. Yeah. He's trying to make love a big deal, not faith that can move mountains, understand mysteries, angelic language is the big deal. And, yeah. that, and that's hyperbole. It's exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. Yeah, because right. it's supposed to cause awe and shock. So move mountains. Oh, Whoa, move mountains. Oh, but love is even greater right. than that. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do want to just camp on one phrase, and that's the end of verse three I gain nothing. So I will give credit to John Piper here, and uh, he, he talks about the, the gain that is ours when we love well. And a lot of people don't talk about it because love is, it's simply giving away your life. It's, it's giving uh, to others in such a way that it, it hurts your bank account or your, your calendar or something. It, it, it's, it's sacrificial in nature. But at the same time, there is great benefit. There's great gain to giving your life away in that, in that loving type of way. And I, I think that uh, that's something I always like to bring to couples during marriage counseling and things like that, that believe it or not, this is the only decent way to live. It's, mm. it's, a, it's a flourishing way to live when you're giving your life away for a purpose bigger than yourself. Yeah. Mm. Adam, you know, one of the reasons I think this is interpreted is because Jesus did talk about faith that can move mountains at one point. Mm-hmm. And I think the Apostle Paul's aware of that statement, right. and he's building on it. He's not trying to say, you know, if you have strong enough faith, you'll be able to move mountains. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus used it as hyperbole as well in that right. context. Right. And so it seems to be this common... Uh, hyperbolic phrase that existed in the first century. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, probably in that time, this was maybe even common language of some kind in in hyperbole. Mm -hmm. We use that all the time without even knowing it, like you said. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Another, you know, kind of thing in English, you know, I was sweating bullets. You know, everybody knows what that means. It's a figure of speech, right? Um, You're not literally sweating bullets, but you just felt the weight of the moment. And so I just think it's important to pause and realize that language is figurative at times. It's symbolic at times. It's hyperbolic at times. That's the beauty of language. And I think you just have to be able to read the Apostle Paul with those constructs of language and literature in mind. And And this section requires that. Yep, absolutely. Let's go into verses 4 through 7. Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Adam, you have that tattooed on your back, this passage, don't you? No, I'm kidding. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of people do have this one, tattooed places. I mean, it is just, it's just that clear. It's just that powerful, you know, and it's so interesting how certain sections of the Bible just sound so good to our ears, you know, at yeah. times, and this is one of them. And um, I do think Paul's right on the money. Obviously, this is the Word of God in talking about a great expression of love. And uh, I just thought we could kind of go through this, guys. Is there a is there a descriptor here that jumps out at you? I mean, the first one, love is patient. That's hard for me. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. Patience means going at another speed. And let me just be honest, my wife's speed is not my speed. Okay, it's a, it's a little tough, um, and it requires patience. Mm-hmm. And that is that is love to say I'm going to go at your speed is a is patience in a relationship. Um, so that one jumps out at me. Is there anything in here that jumps out at you guys? <laughs> Well, love is kind is pretty important. In fact, I spoke at both of my son's weddings, and I spoke about kindness. So Mm. number two, love is kind. And I recognize that there's a lot of work done in trying to figure out why certain couples make it and other couples don't. The largest marriage study ever done by the University of Washington showed that contemptible language... Uh, is a marriage Mm. killer. So lack of kindness. And the cure for that is to think of the most charitable way to talk about and to think about your spouse's behavior. (laughs) That's what kind (laughs) kindness Mm -hmm. is. Mm. And I've I've always remembered that and it's it's so true. Mm -hmm. I, I in my own 42 years of seeing people, counseling people, lack of kindness is a relationship killer. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Right. Yeah, I think for me, you know, the one that stands out to me is it keeps no record of wrongs, and that's a hard one. Um, I think one, to get right, and two, to actually then live out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not saying, oh, yeah, just live without boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, boundaries are good things. But, um, yeah, sometimes when you get angry at somebody, you can it can well up inside of you these things that have happened in the past that you want mm-hmm. to bring up again and again and again. Or I have know. this book on fair fighting, and that's called gunny sacking. Yep, you put <laughs> f- former wrongs against you in a sack, yep. and then you bring them out at the most opportune time yep. to build your case for why you're a good person and they're a terrible person. Right. Every couple that I meet with, uh, and every couple I think in general, should have a rules of engagement, rules of war yeah, for their yeah. relationship, because <laughs> yeah. because you're going to fight. That's not the problem. You're going to yep. fight. It's how do we fight in love and fight with kindness. And, you know, that's yes. really, fight's probably not the right word, but how do we go through conflict well? Correct. And yep. um, when I sit down with couples, you know, it's it's... Nearly every time someone says, well, remember that time that you did this? And you just have to say, you know what? If you'd like to address that conflict at a later date, we can. We're mm-hmm. currently addressing this conflict. Sure. And um, it's okay to address wrongs, but when you start keeping score, keeping record of those wrongs, and then using it against somebody later on, that's called that's punishment, right? Yeah. You're yeah, trying to condemn. Right. And uh, so the Apostle Paul is freeing people from that perspective, which is wonderful. That truly is love. Yep. You know, before we move on, I think I want to talk about why certain cultures, and you know, like our culture, loves this part of the Bible and not other parts. It's because this part aligns with what our culture already thinks. Correct. And sometimes when you read the Bible and you read something you already think, you naturally gravitate towards that because you want the Bible to reflect your worldview. So we read things about, say, judgment or something or sacrifice, and we're like, no way, you know, I can't, I can't believe the Bible says that. We read other parts of the Bible, we're like, I love that. Mm-hmm. That should be an indicator to us that perhaps even with the stuff we love in the Bible, we're reading it with our own, through our own bias, our yep. own worldview. And so if you are like, I love this section, but I didn't like the last section, 
that might be an indicator to you that you need to approach the Bible uh, as God's word and authority more Mm -hmm. than just liking the parts you like and and disregarding the parts you don't. Yeah. You know, also, uh, C.S. Lewis said something interesting about the Bible in general, and he said, it's not so much that I read the Bible and am impressed by what I read. What has um, impressed me is that the Bible reads me. In other words, it diagnoses me in such an accurate way. And when we read this, we can go, we can see the wisdom here. And fortunately for Western the Western world, this kind of wisdom has kind of, like you said, Eric, it's kind of made its way into our culture. Mm-hmm. And so we generally agree with every single thing on this list. Mm-hmm. But that's that should cause people to turn around and worship God because of his great wisdom and understanding. He created us, he gets us, and now he's giving us a mirror to kind of hold up and see where, you know, how we're, how we're, how are you doing on this? Yeah. yeah right. Paul, it's interesting you bring up the mirror. The Apostle Paul brings up that same illustration in this section, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and uh, the mirror is, is very interesting. So we'll get it's to very that. very cool. So let's go ahead and finish this up with verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What dawned on me as I was reading through this um, in preparation for the podcast is the Apostle Paul knew that these gifts had their place. Mm-hmm. And I think this supports um, the conclusion, Paul, that we talked about last week, which is their sign gifts for a moment and a season and for a purpose. And the day is coming when those purposes will be fully uh, completed. And they will, to use the Apostle Paul's word, cease. And I think that, um, you know, for those who um, are big into the gifts today and the charismatic movement, I'm like, have you read into 1 Corinthians 13, 13 where he goes on to talk about they have a place? And um, I, and perhaps they have, and they'd probably have their, their defense of that. But I just thought it was interesting where the Apostle Paul is even saying, um, they will come to an end someday because someday we'll be fully known, we'll see God face to face. And I think that's just an interesting um, mark of this passage. You know, a lot of controversy surrounding these passages. I mean, this could be one of the top 10 most controversial passages in the New Testament and debated because when will these things cease is the question. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a whole group of uh, theologians and now therefore Christians that believe that we're talking about the fully completed text of the New Testament. Mm And there's a good argument for that. Others would say, no, I'm not fully known and I don't fully know until I'm face-to-face with Jesus Christ, and that's after I die to go to, die and go to heaven or when he returns. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the completeness, that would be uh, where these things cease. Let me tell you my observation. 
And this is after, I don't know, I can't remember how many countries I've been to, 27 countries or something like that. I've been to mission fields all over the world. This is my conclusion, that you see these sign gifts still in operation where the Word of God is not seen as authoritative. Mm -hmm. In other words, people are not like recognizing the Bible is true. And so there's not a well-established church, there's not a well-established authority of, of uh, those who bring the Bible to people. And so you need, I think, some of these sign gifts to bring attention to the fact that God is telling us the truth through His Word and through His messengers. Now, when I, when I see the church mature to a certain point, it just seems like those gifts go away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying, let's take them away or let's stop doing those things, but the real sign gifts really just disappear on their own. And and uh, if, if a person were to get technical with the Greek language here, some are cease on their own, others are, are made to stop. Mm. But I don't know if the Apostle Paul was just using... Um, rhetorical variety in the way he was describing that. And and so maybe we shouldn't make too big of a deal about that. Mm, yeah. The fact is they're not going to be around uh, at a certain point. Right, right. So what would you say to somebody who says, well, the Word of God is not really an authority in America, so why not more gifts in America, uh, you know, sign hey, gifts? We, we have... <laughs> We have in Washington, D.C. now a museum of the Bible. Okay, <laughs> okay. so it, it's pretty well established. At yeah. least the, the church is mature enough to stand for the truth. Mm -hmm. You're right, there is a growing number of people that don't tr trust the Bible is true, but I, I don't see that the sign gifts are necessary simply because we've reached a certain point of maturity in it's, the church. It seems like also you'd have to evaluate the cultural, the cultural um, reasons to trust an authority. So in, in, a, in the West, that's a very much, very much a materialistic, intellectual mm -hmm. approach to an authority. You have an intellectual approach to the Bible that demonstrates and proves the authority of the Bible. I think that in, in the West where um, the supernatural, you know, doesn't show up often, it would actually um, be maybe disregard even more so. And so right, I think right. to understand what creates an authority in a culture, um, you have to investigate the culture, and then you can also see why sign gifts are more prevalent in other cultures because those sign gifts are, are more powerful evidence to the authority of that yeah. mi miracle worker or the Bible or whatever. Right. If, if so many people already recognize Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and maybe not even... Maybe today, not the majority of of people, but there's a significant number of people that already do that. The sign gifts being a pointer, um, and and functioning in that way of of establishing authority, it's just not needed. And so I don't know. I, I'm not ready to argue that no, there's never anybody who ever prophesies and gets it right. And there's obviously, you know. The, the tongues thing is very controversial. I just don't see it's needed mm -hmm. in most situations. Now, in a missionary application, I can see that it would be fantastic. It seems like in our country, in the West, uh, love is an authority. And so it's so interesting yeah. that with the Apostle Paul <laughs> section here about love, right. that, that when Christians love, it actually helps establish the authority of the Bible. 
mm-hmm. those contexts. So, so love is a, is a, a major authority here in, in the West, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, and I think the thing, you know, if I'm a listener sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting, but what do I take away and apply from this? I mean, it's just good to know if you're a Christ follower, I think, in particular. Obviously, there's emphasis from chapter 12 to 13. Paul's explaining the gifts, talking through them, but ultimately, there's something to focus on and something that is greater, Mm -hmm. and love is is that peace. So let's not get... You don't want to get too tripped up on this. In in chapter 13, he's emphasizing love. Let's not miss that message. Right, right, right. In chapter 14, he's going to argue, hey, the Word of God spoken to you in plain language, your your language, your own language, and applying whatever is delivered to you by uh, the pastor, uh, the preacher, whatever, whatever that person would be called in your particular context, that is to be valued above tongue speaking. Mm. That's chapter 14. And, and so uh, we'll get there next week, I'm sure. So one, one more interesting observation, you know, Paul brings in this um, child illustration. When I was a child, I thought like a child, and he says, I moved on from that. You know, I'm wondering, you know, what inspired him to go there? You know, were they very childish in the way that they were approaching their gifts? Mm. Self- children are selfish, at least mine are, and um, mm-hmm. it seems like their selfish approach to their church and their own gifts required the Apostle Paul to say, look, guys, you have this childish approach. We're going to move on from that towards maturity. And what is maturity? Well, it's a balanced approach of gifts and love inside of the local church. And mm-hmm. I think um, that might be a real takeaway for us, is the maturing process has us balance both gifts and love and truth as we as we grow and mature in our faith. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the connection here that Paul's making. Yeah. I think that there is something going on today that we might consider a parallel. Let's see what you guys think. But some people are really gifted communicators, and some people are really gifted at singing and, and doing music. And, and, and I'm not talking about these necessarily being just spiritual gifts, but let's say they're enabled by the Holy Spirit and, mm-hmm. and they're God-given. And how we give, just like they did in chapter 12, we're, we're giving such a high uh, value to certain gifts over others. Mm-hmm. We're not valuing that person that is putting the tables away, putting the chairs away, you know, these, these type of things. But actually in America, there's a lot of money to be made in the ministry if you have particular gifts. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of childish. Yep. You we can don't be... <laughs> value things. Yeah. You can be gifted and childish. And yep. uh, I think you you see that in the local church, and uh, that would be this would be a good section um, to teach to leaders, young leaders, leaders mm. like like me and Adam. You know, I mean, yep. this is this is a good correction to the um, celebrity culture inside of Christianity. I think so. I think that's, uh, and let me just throw it out there for people that want to listen to something that's uh, very relevant to modern evangelicalism. There's a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Mm -hmm. and it's done by Christianity Today. And the pastor featured in that podcast is a person that said things like, you know, I'm a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm the brand Mm -hmm. of this whole ministry. That's a violation of 1 Corinthians 13. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, he he was a great communicator, and he yep. 
you know, speaking about tongues of men and angels, you know, he could, he could bring it. Yeah, great. One of the greatest orders of this generation, right? For sure, right. Very good. But he didn't love the people, right? He loved the audience, but he didn't love the people. Mm. He loved himself. <laughs> loved himself some mm-hmm. of himself. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of application to us today. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree. And I think one just really exciting thing, and if you attend SMCC, I hope this uh, encourages you. Uh, we have a value here. Maturity is not about how much we know. We could add to that. Maturity is not about how gifted someone is. It's right. about love, uh, how well we love God and love others. And that is us applying 1 Corinthians 13 to our church and our culture here at SMCC. Yeah. So I hope you've, I hope you've experienced that. I hope you contribute to that culture. I hope you benefit from that culture, um, because together we will uh, honor God and live mm-hmm. out His Word. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, guys, for going through that. We've got a big chapter coming up next week to go through, so... <laughs> Rest up, read ahead. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully listeners will be ready for that. And again, if you can, go ahead and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on right now. That really helps us out. And as well, if you want to check out our other podcasts, you can go to smccutah.org slash podcast. Thank you for being here today, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.